We kind of live in an us-versus-them world, don't we? can get a little polarized. In your world right now, how would you answer that question? Who is us and who is them? You know, some of those types of things aren't that big of a deal. You know, maybe it's a fandom type thing, certain school, certain team. Here's one for me. Go Colts! Boo, Patriots. <laughs> like, if you're a Patriots fan, I really have to, like, fight the urge to, like, move you down a peg in my book, you know? I was like, oh, okay, you're one of those. I mean, perhaps you fall in one line or the other uh, on, a, like, a trivial issue. You know, maybe, okay, are you one of the people who are like, no matter what... You should not play Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Is there anybody kind of in that camp? Yeah? I am not in that camp. I was whistling Christmas music in the office like this week. I was like, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It was not. But that's, that's kind of where I'm at, you know. So we live in this us versus them world. And there are things like that. But then there are other things that are, are really polarizing, that are really difficult, that are really challenging. So here's my disclaimer for today. We're actually going to talk about some of those, and it's going to get a little uncomfortable because we're going to talk about some things that maybe challenge kind of the us-them thing in your heart and in my heart. They might be fighting words to you. You might go like, oh, I'm not that. We're going to use some words and some comments and some things that might make us a little uncomfortable. So answer that question, who in your heart, like be honest, who in your heart is an us? And who in your heart is a them? Maybe for some of us, it's Republican versus Democrat. You know, if you don't align with my political views, not only are you wrong, but you're something else. We fill in the blank. You're unloving, you're uh, uncaring, you're stupid, you're naive. It's uncomfortable. Maybe it's like maybe it's like this one, people of color versus white. And how do we navigate real issues like pain or history or, or racism or community or justice? Maybe it's something like my version of church versus your version of church. I don't like that one. And honestly, we make church kind of an us versus them thing too. You know, one group of people thinks church should look a certain way, sound a certain way, feel a, a certain way. Other people think differently. But here's the thing. Then we start to argue, start to treat people poorly. You're right. I'm right. You're wrong. You know, that's like most of my feed on social media is that type of stuff. I mean, we could keep going. I mean, there are so many of these things. Sexuality is one of these things. Vaccines and masks have turned into one of those things. Education is one of those things. Economics is one of those things. I mean, I don't want to leave anybody out from being uncomfortable. Us versus them. See, life can get so polarized and it's difficult to navigate and we don't know what to do. And then it comes to faith, comes to like our relationship with Jesus and we don't know how to kind of navigate the world in a polarized way and, and honor Jesus with who we are and what we do. And see, these tensions are legit. They're difficult. They're confusing. They're hurtful. We don't know what to do with them. And then we respond, no matter what, you respond one way or the other. You respond with ignorance, maybe. I, I can respond that way. Or maybe we respond with arrogance and pride. Or maybe we respond with foolishness. Maybe we respond with kindness. We go, hey, I've got to think that through. But we respond. Who is us and who is them? 
in your life. Now we're in the middle of the series called Legit. And we've been talking about the book of James and what it looks like for us to live out kind of an authentic faith, to have real faith, right in the middle of these kind of us versus them situations. And the main idea in James is that faith should lead to action in our lives, that people should be able to see who we follow based on the way that we live our lives. And that following Jesus should be more than just knowledge about him. It should include living for him. And the way we act and treat other people speaks louder than maybe the way we talk about Jesus or the way that we think. And James kind of hits this us versus them stuff like he just comes at it head on. And I'm thankful for it. I'm personally challenged by it. So this is actually how James starts kind of the second chapter of his letter. We're going to spend most of our time there. Check this out. This is what he says. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? So who do you favor? Like who's your favorite? Who do you want to be around? Here's what I mean. Here's kind of a theoretical situation. Say you're going to church at the Ridge. It's Sunday morning. It's a normal day. You decide you're going to come in in person and you're walking inside. You're kind of getting settled. You're you're five minutes late because you got caught in the traffic at Starbucks. It's okay. I understand that that happens sometimes. But but you're coming in and somebody walks in and they look like the epitome of, of cool. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I don't mean that ironically. Like, who would you say, you know, I kind of want to look like that. I kind of want to act like that. Like, that is, a, that is the person that I kind of want to model myself after. And this person looks like, sounds like, acts like kind of the epitome of cool. I mean, you notice them. Other people notice them. So this cool person comes in, and then right behind that cool person, there's this other person. Except this person is the opposite, This person is like your version of gross. Like they look dirty or sloppy. They're a slob. I mean, the the smell kind of makes your eyes water. You gag because the smell is so strong. So you're here in church, and for some reason you have the choice of where these two people can sit. We don't have assigned seats. We do have ushers kind of helping people in and out, but we don't have assigned seats. But for some reason, you get to do that today. Where do you sit these two people? Where do you tell the cool person to sit? Maybe in a place where other people can see how cool they are. I mean, the camera needs to be able to see how cool they are. We want other people to know how cool our church is. Or maybe you ask them, hey, where do you want to sit? Because I want to honor you. I want to give you what you want I want you to feel good. And you've already decided, look, wherever they sit, I'm going to make sure that there's a chair like two down from them if you're still distancing, you know, all that type of stuff. Like you've thought it through. I want to be with them. I want to be seen with them. What about that other person, the gross slob? You know, where do you have them sit? Right next to you? Back of the room, front of the room? Do you silently judge them? Or do you say something like, you can stand over there. Nobody with a good sniffer is over there. We, we wouldn't want other people to be bothered by you. I mean, you could be here. And when we say it like that, we're like, no way would I act like that. No way. I would never do that. But we do that sometimes, don't we? Like we go through our life and we have an us and we have a them and it starts to challenge us. And maybe it's not 
where you can sit. Maybe it's a snarky response on Facebook, or maybe it's gossip, and you go, hey, just between you and me, like, this person? Are you kidding me? Or maybe it's not even an outward expression. Maybe you don't even say anything, but it's this inward decision, and you're going to move further away from them. Or you're going to judge them. Or you make a mental note to never be like them. Or even you thank God that you're not like them. All too often, see, we're guilty of treating people in different ways according to their appearance. And yes, I do mean skin color. I also mean a lot of other things too. See, we're guilty of treating people based on how they look, what they wear, how rich we think they are or poor we think they are, what they should be doing, what they should be saying, how they should be acting, where they're from, what they can do for us. James 2.4 says this, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? We, we bristle at that word, don't we? Discrimination? Oh, I don't discriminate. Do you? Oh, those are fighting words. They make me uncomfortable. If I was sitting down, I'd be squirming. We kind of even make discrimination an us versus them thing. They discriminate. Have you ever said anything like that? Those people, you know, that type of thing. You know, we have our own definitions of it. We struggle with it. Us versus them. And James is saying, look, the way you treat people matters. And when you discriminate, which is, here's my definition of it. When you treat people with different levels of respect and kindness based on who they are on the outside or what they can do for you, it reveals your motivation. It reveals your heart. Have you ever done anything like that? Remember being a little kid? You know, I had a group of friends in my neighborhood growing up. We would play together all the time. It was like the sandlot in real life. Like, it was awesome. Basketball, football, baseball, video games, whatever. We got along great. The summers were a blast. We all went to the same elementary school. But can I tell you something? There was one kid kind of in that group of friends, but he wasn't the coolest kid. And we were at school. I, I actually acted like we weren't friends. I'm not proud of that. I was kind of thinking about why. Why did I do that? And I think it's because I wanted to be viewed a certain way. And treating him poorly actually helped me get what I wanted. You know, a seat at a different table with different friends. My motivations impacted my actions. And James is saying treating other people without respect or treating other people unkindly or unfairly based on who they are on the outside is discrimination. It's prejudice, it's evil, it's wrong, it's sin. But here's part of the struggle. I have never met anyone that introduced themselves to me and they're like, hey, you know, I'm, uh, I'm Howard, I have evil motives. Any Howards in the room, I'm sorry. You know, most of the time we don't go around thinking, I'm evil, I'm going to do evil things for evil motives, and I'm just going to do it anyway. See, that's one of the reasons that it's so challenging, because I'm asking myself, do I ever treat someone differently than someone else? And before you start running to the answer, no, I would never do that. We do that, and we actually sometimes have valid reasons for it. Here's my example. I treat my wife, Abby, differently than I treat a stranger in the grocery store, and I should 
because that would lead to some incredibly awkward interactions if I didn't treat them differently. See, there's sometimes that it's the right thing to do to treat somebody differently, but do you ever treat someone differently than someone else for the wrong reason? Maybe you're kinder to the boss because, well, she's the boss. And she can give you the raise. She can give you the promotion. Or do you treat that one coworker with disrespect because everybody else does? And you kind of want to go with the crowd. See, those are the types of things that I'm talking about. See, how does James tell us to deal with this? How do we live faithfully, live out our faith, be legit, and honor God in this us versus them type of polarized world? And James reminds us of the answer. And it's not going to surprise you. It's not going to blow you away. There's no shock here. There's no awe here. It's pretty simple. We likely know it. We put it on bumper stickers and coffee mugs and Instagram posts, and still we have a really hard time living it out. See, our actions often don't kind of follow our words on this one. This is James 2.8. This is what he says. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law that he's talking about there is love God and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's frustratingly simple. The idea is pure. We accept it. We like it. We know it. We don't always do it. Here's kind of the big idea for the day. Here's this foundational principle I think James is saying when we're talking about this us versus them type of world. This is what he's saying. Faith in Jesus requires loving your neighbor. It's this natural response. So who is us and who is them in your head, in your heart? Did somebody come to mind? Was it an individual person? Like you're like, okay, I've got, I've got it. It was actually your neighbor. That would be really convenient. Like you're like, it's that guy. Somebody even, maybe you're with somebody in your family or is it a group of people or you're like, I don't get along with them Every them in your life, that's your neighbor. And James is saying, if you follow Jesus, the way you treat other people is based in the way that God loves you. So most of us are like, agreed, love people, I got it, check. And then we go about our week and we kind of get back into that us versus them world and we start tearing people down and we start criticizing without relationship or we start ignoring or we start reacting and we slip right back into treating the people the same way that we did before. We might not even realize it's an us versus them type of thing. So let's dig in. What does it look like for us to love our neighbor well? There are a lot of different ways to do it, but James talks about a couple So here are kind of four ways, I think, in the next couple of verses that James is kind of prompting us to love our neighbor in an us-versus-them world. So here it is. Here's the first one. Respect others no matter what. So in case you were wondering, Aretha Franklin had it right. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Suck to me, suck to me, suck to me, suck to me. Like, it's a huge deal. Respect is a way that you show love. How do you define the word respect? Treat others the way you want them to be treated. That's how I define it. Treat them honorably. Treat them with love. Treat them the way you'd want to be treated. This is James 2.9. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. And the law there he's talking about is the royal law, the love God, love others law. So see this word here, favor? What does that word mean? 
Well, some Bible translations use the word partiality. Some use the word favoritism. Another one uses the word prejudice. But this word favor, it literally means to be a respecter of people. To not show partiality or favoritism or prejudice. To respect people. To treat them the way you'd want to be treated. So think about that person. Think about that them that you're thinking about. If you show them favoritism to get what you want, if you're unkind to them, if you treat them without respect, you treat them differently than you would treat somebody else, if you're using them for your own gain, all of those are examples of not respecting them. So here are some questions that I think might help us, challenge us to respect other people. I'm just going to go, go through them quickly. Here we go. Here's number one. Are you giving them the benefit of the doubt? Who's that them in your mind? And are you giving them the benefit of the doubt? I'm really bad at this at times. You know, like I see a 10-second interaction with somebody, you know, like at a coffee shop or a restaurant or something. I'm like, they're terrible. I'm like, well, are you giving them the benefit of the doubt? Do you actually know? There's all sorts of things going on in our lives. We know that that other people don't see. Are we giving them the benefit of the doubt? Are we respecting them in that way? Here's the second one. Are you approaching them as an us or as a them? Check your heart. Check yourself. As you're starting to interact with somebody, as you're starting to get angry, you're starting to get frustrated, you start using the they, them, those people type of language, you start to really feel it, and it'll check. Is it an us or is it a them thing that you're doing right here? Here's, Here's another one. Here's the third one. What does it look like to treat them the way you would want to be treated and actually answer the question? Sometimes that's the hardest part because we don't really know how we want to treat ourselves, let alone somebody else. How would they want to be treated? How would you want to be treated in this type of situation that you're in? Here's the fourth one. Have you actually asked God how he would want you to treat them? Like if it's a really big them for you, have you even talked to God about it? And if you haven't, see, your actions speak louder than words. How you treat others is the proof in the pudding. You know, one one way to love others is to respect them, to treat them the way you'd want to be treated. How else can we love others? Well, James keeps going. This is James 2, 10 and 11. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not murder. So if you murder someone, but you do not commit adultery, you're good to go. That's what it's, no, that's not what it says. You've still broken the law. But we think that sometimes, don't we? We act like our sin is not that big of a deal. It's not a big deal compared to yours. My sin is forgiven by God. Yours, though, you got to figure this out. Get it together. See, if we follow Jesus, we are a sinner saved by grace. And God's standard is an incredibly high one. It's never making a mistake. It's holiness. And we can't do it. But Jesus did. And it's through the grace of Jesus that we're reminded, because of God's grace, we can treat other people with grace. We can love other people. We can treat them with respect. See, grace is getting what you don't deserve. We actually talked a lot about grace in April. So if you haven't checked out that series, it started on Easter. It's called The Solution for Everything. But James is saying, look, if you sin, even if you are 
prejudiced or unkind to one person once, if you sin, you're guilty. If they sin, they're guilty. And it doesn't have to be kind of one over the other. Murder is bad. That's what he's saying. Look, murder's bad. Adultery's bad. Prejudice is bad. Favoritism is bad. Discrimination is bad. Pride is bad. And this helps us in loving our neighbors because this, this doesn't seem super hopeful yet. Like you're like, what does this have to do with loving our neighbor? Well, it's this great reminder that we aren't as good as we think we are. See, James is urging us to remember who you are. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? An employee? A boss? A Patriots fan? A Christian? A parent? A sinner? A saint? Who are you? I was kind of thinking about this. Here's here's who I am. I am a sinner who makes mistakes all of the time. I'm not as great as I think I am, and I'm not as bad as I think I am either. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus on the cross. I'm a child of God. I'm precious to God. I'm tempted to treat other people in a way that benefits me. I'm forgiven by God through Jesus, and I have peace because of what Jesus did and who he is in my life. See, other people are them, until we remember, oh, wait, loving other people starts with accurately seeing who we are. It helps us remember, oh, I I make mistakes all the time. It might not be as bad or as good or whatever. And I got God's grace, and I follow Jesus, and I have the Holy Spirit in my life to navigate these really difficult things. And I remember... Not just who I am, but I can also remember who they are. See, they are sinners who make mistakes all the time. They're not as great as they think they are, but they're not as bad as I think they are either. They're sinners saved by the grace of Jesus on the cross. They're children of God. They're precious to God. They're tempted to treat others in a way that benefits them sometimes. Sound familiar? They're forgiven by God through Jesus, and they have an opportunity for peace because of who Jesus is in their lives. They are our neighbors. They're working with you. They're in your community. They're in this room. And we're called to love them. That's the royal law that James is talking about, loving God, loving others, and remembering that they're actually much more similar to us than we think they are is this great reminder to love them no matter what because that's what God does for us, loves us no matter what. So James is saying, look, respect others no matter what. Remember who you are. Remember who they are. What's the last thing? Well, this is James 2, 12 through 13. This is what he's saying. So whatever you say or whatever you do, that's everything. Remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And this gets a little confusing Let's break it down. See, we like to judge other people, don't we? What if we like have the robes, you know? Like we're walking around like that with a gavel and we're like, guilty, guilty, guilty. You're wrong, you're wrong. I'm right. But that's kind of what we do. We're constantly evaluating other people. We're constantly making decisions about who they are or who they aren't. See, that person's right, that person's wrong. That person's right, that person looks wrong. And James is saying, don't forget, hey, since you're judging people, judge, jury, and executioner, you're going to be judged too. And we go, oh, yeah, by people? He goes, yeah, but that's not really what he's talking about. We're going to be judged at the end of the day by God, and God sees everything. 
He sees the motivation. He sees the way we treat other people. He sees our favoritism. He sees our prejudice. He sees our pride. He sees the good. He sees the bad. He sees the discrimination. He sees all of it. He sees our hearts. And James is saying, look, not loving other people, not treating them with mercy is revealing something in you. It shows where our heart really is. And James is saying throughout the book of James, hey, the way we live matters. How you live out your faith matters. So when we're doing our best to kind of love God and love our neighbors, what should be visible in our lives? Well, he tells us, he says, fourth, look, show mercy. Compassionate love. It's a good way to define mercy. And James is saying, instead of treating other people because of how they look, treat other people because who they are in God. With the same compassion, the same mercy, the same love that God has shown you. See, God is going to judge us because he knows our hearts. That's the whole point of Jesus, actually. God's already given us this mercy, this compassion, this forgiveness because of where we fall short. That's the whole point of Jesus, too. And if we believe in Jesus, we're made right with God because of his mercy. Therefore, if we believe in Jesus... If we're interacting with other people and we believe in Jesus, our faith plays out by showing mercy to other people, by treating them the way that we have been treated by Jesus. Remember that bottom line? Faith in Jesus requires loving your neighbor. And that's what James is saying. There's no us. There's no them. It's all God's. And as we follow Jesus, we're called to love people just like God loves us. We can love them by respecting them. We can love them by remembering who we all are and that we're God's children. And we can give the same mercy we are given by God through Jesus. And I've been thinking about this concept. And I go, okay, this is really hard for us to live out. Not hard for us to understand, hard to live out. What does this look like even in the life of the Ridge here at church? Now, one of our church values is nothing matters if people don't matter. See, we want to do our best to do exactly what James is talking about, loving God, loving others in a way that treats them with respect and points them to Jesus because we're motivated by God's love. And I want to be a church that loves others no matter what, no matter what they look like, sound like, act like, feel like, believe, don't believe, where they came from, where they're going, whatever. I want to be a church that remembers we're loved and that we're saved by Jesus, and that Jesus loves our neighbors better than we can possibly not love them. I want to be a church that shows mercy and grace freely because it's been shown to us by God. I want to be a church that loves people so much that we tell them the truth, not just what they want to hear. See, followers of Jesus can get that wrong sometimes. We fall in weird places on that conversation. That becomes an us versus them thing too. And we think loving somebody means to never have the hard conversation or to only have the hard conversation. And oftentimes loving someone well is having this relationship that includes the hard conversation, talking about life and sin and hurt and truth and grace. And we can have the hard conversation because of love. So let me ask you, who is us and who is them in your heart, in your mind, in your life? And what does it look like for you today and tomorrow and the next day to treat them with respect? To show them mercy. See, I want to be a a church that will do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. That's our vision statement around here. We are motivated 
by God's love. It's the same thing. Love others, love God. And our faith, just like James challenges us to do, our faith is kind of lived out in this love, in the them and the us and the neighbors and the family and the friends and the coworkers and whatever. See, we can show people the love of Jesus through how we treat them. This is not an us. This is not a them thing. We're all God's children. We're all loved by him. So faith in Jesus, look, faith in Jesus requires loving your neighbor. Who is us? Who is them? How do you treat them with love? I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm challenged as we talk through this. I'm challenged even that there are us and them in my heart that I don't even realize. I don't even notice. I don't even know. Help us navigate that this week. Help us surrender that to you. Reveal that in our hearts. Show us this discrimination, this hurt, where we're not treating others in the way that you would want us to treat them. I'm challenged by that. And God, I know that navigating the us and the them in, in life and in our world is really difficult. It's easy to kind of slide back into that mentality. So I, I ask you to challenge us this week as we go about our day-to-day and our week this week that you would help us love you with everything we've got. And as we love you with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, that we are prompted just naturally respond to love other people well. Not as an us, not as a them, but because of you. And thank you for that reminder of Jesus and the cross that you loved us so perfectly, so fully, so well, that our natural response to that is to love you and praise you and worship you and talk about you and to tell other people about you and to love them in a way that's so countercultural, that's so confusing even. Why would you treat me that way? And our response is because of Jesus. Give us opportunities to live as your children in an us-versus-them world. Thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.